Welcome to the podcast From the Alps to the Rockies. It's part of the celebration of 75 years of diplomatic relations between Switzerland and Canada. The Swiss Embassy in Ottawa and the Consulates General in Montreal and Vancouver are pleased to offer you a series of podcasts which will feature speakers from Switzerland and Canada. We will discuss various aspects of collaboration from the Swiss Alps to the Canadian Rockies. Welcome to the podcast from the Swiss Alps to the Canadian Rockies. My name is Urs Obrist. I'm the Senior Science and Technology Counselor at the Embassy of Switzerland. My guest today is uh, Vincent Moser. He is professor at McGill University. He is considered a pioneer in using genomics-based tools and data sets to develop new target-based therapies to improve human health. He was born and raised in the canton of Fribourg and graduated from Lausanne Medical School. Before moving to Canada, he held senior positions at the Centre Hospitalier Universitaire Vaudois and Lausanne University and was a member of the executive board of the Swiss Academy for Medical Sciences. In 2019, he joined McGill University in Montreal as chairholder of the Canada Excellence Research Chair in Genomic Medicine. He is also the co-founder and director of the Quebec COVID-19 Biobank and the junk professor at the University of Bern. Welcome, Vincent Moser. It is a great pleasure to have you here with us today. Before we start looking at your current work, I would like to learn a bit more about your career in Switzerland and other stations on the way before coming to Canada. I think it is safe to say it was not a straight path from Lausanne to Montreal. Thank you very much, Dr. Robrist. I'm very pleased to be with you today. I'm very happy to share as well some of my experience. As you were saying, I was born in Bull, in uh, Canton de Fribourg. I, was, I went to high school, to the Collège Saint-Michel there. And uh, when I was 17, I had no idea that I would go into medicine. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to go into the army. And I applied actually to this school for young adults who were interested in this path. I passed the first uh, series, but I failed then. And I met a psychologist there uh, at the interview. And he found that I was not interested enough and motivated enough to be a pilot and uh, told me, you should think about something else. And I said, what else? And he said, why don't you think about medicine? And I thought, no way. But then gave a second thought and essentially decided to go into medicine. So I went to medical school in Lausanne, was a very happy period of my life, was very early on interested in research, but also really wanted to go into an academic career. That means having the chance to be a doctor, take care of patients, but also do research. And then uh, serendipity hit again. I met this person, uh, Bernard Weber from Freiburg, was a very successful young researcher in Lausanne and took me in his lab with uh, Dr. Brunner's division of hypertension in Lausanne. So that's where I spent my two years of research, uh, sort of what is called clinical pharmacology for hypertension. And uh, serendipity again, uh, Dr. Brunner told me you should go for a postdoc and uh, get a better training. So we went to Australia with my wife. We had our first baby there, spent two years there, uh, and then decided to come back to Switzerland. I finished my 
training at uh, Hospital Cantonal, at Fribourg. Uh, and one day, I was really thinking about going back to research. I love research, but I love clinic. And this representative from Park Davis, a pharmaceutical company who was visiting doctors, told me, Dr. Moser, you should think about cholesterol and genetics. And I said, no way, it's disgusting. It's too complicated. Nobody wants to do genetics and nobody is interested in cholesterol. She said, give a second thought. And I did. And I talked to Pascal Nico, the head of medicine, internal medicine in Shuv, and he said, if you're interested in genetics and cholesterol, you need to go to Dallas, Texas. They just got the Nobel Prize there, and uh, there is a woman there who may take you in her lab. Her name is Helen Hobbs. And so I went to Dallas, visited this person, and she said, well, if you want to come, you're a friend of Pascal Nico, come in. And uh, she decided to train me. And eventually went back to Switzerland. At that time, we had, had our second baby uh, when I was in Fribourg, our third baby when we were in Texas, and went back to Switzerland for six years. And during that time, it was obvious for me that genetics was interesting. And I started in the ZAN, probably the first cohort in Switzerland of people with uh, common disease, myocardial infarction. And we recruited lots of patients in Western Switzerland, toute la Suisse romande. Eventually in 2002, I was called by a guy at GlaxoSmithKline, it's a pharmaceutical company. They needed somebody to run the genetics for cardiovascular diseases. And they were wanting me to go to Philadelphia. My first reaction was again, well, I don't want to go back to the US. I've been already three years in Texas. But then I talked to lots of people in Lausanne and they were telling me, maybe it's a good move for you. Maybe you should try and then you'll come back to us. And so I decided to go with my wife and our three kids back to the US, to Philadelphia. Originally for two or three years, we eventually spent 10 years there. I was a vice president in charge of applied genetics for the entire company. We were thinking about staying in the US. But uh, one day I got this call from Lausanne. They were looking for somebody to run the lab department at the SHIV and uh, wanted me to take this position. And uh, after good thinking with our kids, our parents, we decided to go back to Switzerland, which was terrific. And I've been running this department uh, for six years. I must say that when I was at Glaxo, I co-created as well with Gerard Weber, the first population-based cohort in Switzerland, a study called Colos of 6,000 people. And that was actually a very successful private-public partnership to do really high-profile research. So when I joined Lausanne in 2011, people in Lausanne were also very interested in this genomic medicine. And uh, I'm very grateful to them. They gave me essentially the necessary support to create a large biobank in Lausanne, the first of its kind in Europe, probably, called the Biobank Institutionnel de Lausanne. We recruited almost 40,000 people. So that was a very uh, interesting time. And then one day, something again unexpected, a headhunter from Canada called me and said, we've been looking what you are doing in Lausanne. Uh, there is a big university here in Montreal called McGill, and they have received lots of 
funding from the federal government to develop genomic medicine. And they are very interested in building up something similar to what you have built in Lausanne. Again, my initial reaction was no way, I'm happy in Switzerland. We have our kids, our parents, our house. But eventually they said, okay, why don't you come here and have a visit? And so uh, I had this friend as well at McGill was telling me, no, you have to come. So I came here for, so I applied first. And then uh, I think we were almost 30 candidates. I was shortlisted and then interviewed two times. And uh, eventually I got to know more about what is available to build up this genomic medicine program here at McGill. We are talking about 26 million Canadian dollars over a seven year period. So that really makes it possible to build up a research program at the level which is needed now if one wants to do an impact in genomic medicine. But eventually there was a new management in the medical school in Lausanne and they did not really share the vision I had developed originally. And so I thought, okay, I will go to, to Canada and uh, really use my experience there and my training in industry and academia to build up this research program in Canada. So that's how I ended up being at McGill. Yeah, you, you already kind of preempted my next question. I mean, you, you mentioned the role or the, the significance of your research interests choosing to come to Canada. As you had said, you had already established a strong reputation within Switzerland. Uh, what, what made McGill so attractive? Uh, when we talk about uh, the cases uh, that you studied in Switzerland, Quebec as a research landscape, from what I understand, also has some attractions to it. Thank you. Building up a genomic medicine program requires a very strong engagement, not only from one individual, but really from the entire institution, and requires as well very serious funding. What did happen is in 2017, McGill applied to the federal government. The federal government had this tool called instrument called Canada Excellence Research Chair to attract external scientists and develop a new wave of science in the country. And the way it works is the federal government puts $10 million, the university matches with another 10, and then some extra funding makes it 26 million. So if you have a strong financial support plus a strong support from the institution in the country to build up these and make it a strategic priority, then that's very helpful. McGill has also a very strong genome center with cutting edge technologies in terms of sequencing and bioinformatics. Montreal has a very prominent position as well in terms of artificial intelligence. And McGill has got a series of hospitals which are providing some very strong cutting edge uh, clinical care. So all the ingredients were here essentially to build up this new infrastructure. This new infrastructure requires as well time. It's not a short-term short investment. We cannot build a new genomic medicine for two years. We need five years, seven years. That's what the funding is for, seven years. And so I thought that's the ideal timing for me. Enough time, enough money, enough support to build uh, this program. Essentially, this program really 
utilize uh, the same design that uh, I already tested. Uh, maybe to, to give a little bit more of a framework, we, we're talking about large-scale genomics here to support precision medicine. Can you explain maybe for a lay person, how, how does this work? Absolutely. The discovery and development of new drugs is a very complex, long, risky, and expensive endeavor. It is estimated that takes 10 years, probably a couple of billion dollars, and the chance of success to get a molecule to the market is probably less than 1%. So it's very risky, very hard. And probably quite a lot of failure in drug discovery and development can be attributed to the fact that there was too much reliance on animal models and not enough human data to substantiate a program. Genetics here has been shown to offer a new tool in the box. So genetics is not saying what we would call the magic bullet. Genetics is just an additional tool in the toolbox, but what it adds genetics is data which is relevant to humans. Now, genetics has taken a lot of visibility in pharmaceutical companies to the point that in certain companies, no drugs is being prosecuted unless there is some human genetic data to substantiate this uh, target. Mm -hmm. The very good news is that now sequencing, which is the capacity to detect the variants responsible for diseases has been extremely fast progressing. We are talking about ultra high throughput sequencing. We can sequence the entire human genome. If the entire human genome is 3 billion base pairs, it's approximately a thousand times larger than the Bible. And you can sequence that for now $200. Uh, and so these breakthrough in technologies enable us now to sequence the genomes of thousands and thousands of people and to identify variants, mutations within the genes of interest to pharma. And so to learn about what these potential drug targets are doing in human biology and so to substantiate these targets. So that's what we are doing here. I could summarize that you do target identification. You can validate proof of concepts as well in specific larger scale uh, sequencing uh, genomics coming to play as well. And um, maybe drawn on that and, and your previous experience, uh, one of the aspects uh, you had mentioned in, in the previous conversation was uh, Quebec as such is also of interest given uh, the population and, and the rare disease heritage. I think this is a very interesting aspect. Could you elaborate a little bit on the background here? What, what makes the French Canadian population so attractive for a genomics research? This is a very important point that you're raising, Dr. Robrest. What is unique here is this architecture of this French-Canadian population. And here I need to go back to history because I think it is interesting. The first settlers in Quebec were arrived in 1608 in Quebec City from France, mostly Normandy. We estimate there were 8,000 settlers then, mostly men. And uh, Louis XIV 
decided to send some women to essentially increase the colony, les filles du roi, like they called them. And they were coming by boats, boats of filles du roi coming here. Now, we're talking 1608, 1652, first settlers here in Montreal, and then they were Catholic parishes established. And within a hundred years, these 8,000 people came up to 80,000 people. And within another additional hundred years to 800,000 people. And now it's estimated that uh, the province here in Quebec is 8 million people, 6 million French speaking, but a good portion of them are still descended from these settlers. And so these settlers came up also with certain diseases. There are, we estimate, probably 30 or 50 diseases which are really specific to this province because of the inbred structure of this population. And so there are here variants, genetic variants, which are found nowhere else in the world. And so we want to capitalize on these variants and try to help or use these natural experiment by nature, if you want, to support drug discovery and development here. Mm -hmm. now that's fascinating. Probably also for, for the regional uh, population, uh, a new take. Uh, I think the fascination in your work comes from the combination, both of your clinical experience, the laboratory and the genomic data, and now kind of mash it up or bring it together in, in an AI environment. And as you've mentioned, Montreal is a hotspot when it comes to artificial intelligence. So. Uh, certainly, uh, the combination of history combined with the most modern uh, technology brings up uh, fascinating new results, doesn't it? I think there is an ideal constellation here. Essentially, all the ducks are aligned right now to, to make an impact. But you're absolutely right, the importance of AI here. We're talking about big data, really big data. The data we're talking about here is first genomic data. Again, the size of the human genome is around 3 billion base pairs. So that's a lot of A, C, T, and Gs, the four letters of the genomic alphabet. Uh, second, the data is rich as well with clinical data. And when I'm saying clinical data, I'm also see, uh, telling about data in the medical records of patients. Right now, it's difficult to access these medical records, but time is changing as well. And like in other countries, there will be probably the possibility to link the genomic data with the clinical data, like is the case, for instance, in the, in the UK. Uh, the third thing is there is now also the big capacity in the lab to interrogate the function of certain genes. And so all that together generates enormous data sets. And here AI is very instrumental in analyzing these data set with capabilities that no human brain can have, provided again that there is a good question and a stronger hypothesis in the back. Mm -hmm. And would you say, you mentioned your background with GlaxoSmithKline, 10 years in the industrial field helps you nowadays as well. Uh, from what I understand, you, you have connections with uh, Novartis in uh, Montreal, is that correct? Yes. My 10-year experience in industry was very helpful for me. 
uh, I went back to academia later, so that's why I call it my 10-year sabbatical, because it's been so, so helpful in seeing the other side of the fence, which nobody sees. Everybody claims they understand drug discovery and development. No, no, no. Unless you have your hands dirty dans le cambouis, then it's hard to believe what is, how hard it is to discover and develop new drugs. I had this personal real life experience. I've seen the difficulties, but I've seen also the power of industry. And when we're talking about new drugs, I think we need to be very honest. New drugs are not made by academia. They are not marketed by academia. It's too big, it's too risky, it's too expensive. Uh, industry can make it. But to make it successful, industry needs, as I said before, human data. And they can get them through their partnership with academia. They need access to patients as well. They can do on their own, for instance, volunteer studies, what we called phase one. They can do large scale studies with clinical research organizations. There is a sweet spot here, which is the first time a drug is tested into a diseased patient. It's called proof of concept. These are very sensitive, very important trials because based on these trials, decision is made whether a molecule is worth investing more into it or stopping. Investing more into it means going into phase 2B or larger trials costing hundreds of million dollars. So these proof of concept studies is the sweet spot we want to occupy here in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And we actually are very open for public-private partnerships. Uh, and we want to build the capabilities here so that industry, the Novartis's and other GSKs of this world could come and test their molecules here. That's the plan. Very interesting. And, and maybe to, to move over from this topic of big data or big challenges, obviously the big challenge of our time is the current uh, COVID crisis. How did it come about that you now are one of the leading experts uh, within the Quebec Biobank? <laughs> Serendipity hitting again here. Uh, this plan to build the genomic medicine program in the province actually um, was discussed as well at the level of the ministries of uh, economy and ministries of health here. They were very interested in our CERC program on genomic medicine because they are seeing here an opportunity to better take care of the patient population here in Quebec, but also to invigorate pharmaceutical industry. And I was having a meeting with the chief scientific officer of the province, Rémi Kirion on the 19th of March to discuss that CERC program. But pandemics had just started to hit. They were the very first patients in the hospitals and people here in the government were seeing the problem. And on the spot, Remy told me, okay, we know your track record. We ask you to build up now a biobank for the entire province. We want to make sure that we have the right data in samples from our patients to do proper high quality research on COVID in the province. And so they gave me this mandate to essentially build up a province-wide biobank for COVID patients. Uh, 
That's not an easy task. And probably I had underestimated how hard it is in the times of pandemics to build this type of structure. But essentially with uh, Carole Jabe, who is the scientific director of the Fonds de Recherche du Québec, and Daniel Coder, who is the head of the CSO, CEO of uh, Genome Québec, we assembled a task force together and within 11 days, we got essentially the study design, the list of questions we wanted to address, the engagement from 11 institutions across the province to work together, and the ethics committee approval to start the recruitment. Mm -hmm. And our listeners certainly can understand how complex the question is, ethical questions come into it, uh, obviously technological questions, open access to data questions as well. Maybe we're coming slowly to a close of our uh, podcast, but if you would dare to look in the crystal ball uh, and tell us uh, what you see in the near future with regards to potentially identifying new drug targets for COVID-19, uh, is there a timeline that we could kind of expect or hope to see some sort of a vaccine or solution, or is that too daring to, to guess? <laughs> I wish I had this crystal ball, I, but I think, the outcome will depend on three things, uh, probably the vaccine. And here, what we are hearing from the grapevine is quite reassuring. That means these companies were developing now uh, the, these vaccines, the Modernas and the Pfizer's and Astra's seems to have some promising results. So I think that's good news. Second is really short turnaround time diagnostic screening test. I think that will be of paramount importance. Having the probably, uh, I don't know, again, I'm not reading in a crystal ball, but probably uh, every couple of days or so, people shall maybe take quick test at home and see if they are infectious. If they are, stay at home. If they are not, go to work. So these diagnostic screening tests, cheap, high capacity, and I think they are coming on the horizon. So that's very good news as well. And uh, of course, the third thing is all these behavioral measures that we really need to stick to, masks, hand washing, social distancing, and so forth. I may be totally wrong, but I think we'll be back to normal business in a year. Okay, that's a, a good timeline. That's <laughs> something to look for or hope for. <laughs> Obviously, it's a, it's a global effort uh, on, on all ends, uh, various governments, various pharmaceutical industries working on, on the issue, and uh, let's hope for the best. Well, uh, we're coming to a close uh, for our broadcast. I, I would like to thank you, Vincent uh, Moser, for your time and your input and your insights in, in a very fascinating field of uh, genomics. And I wish you all the best uh, for your future research endeavors and future projects in Montreal. Thank you very much for having me on this uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you.